This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, good morning. Bokertov, how are you? Bokertov, just an update uh, regarding that Air Seychelles flight from yesterday mm. that landed mm. in Jeddah on the way back from Seychelles to Israel. 128 Israelis were on board. Um, they have all arrived safely in Israel, so that's the end of the story, um, and everything worked out pretty well. And the middle part of the story, while they were in Jeddah after the plane landed there um, following some technical issues, is that apparently the Israelis, I don't know if it was only the Israelis or if all passengers were actually kept on board, but certainly the Israelis were kept on board the plane for at least three hours um, and apparently the crew updated them periodically saying that um, the airline had been in touch with the Israeli foreign ministry and that uh, they had not yet been given clearance to allow them off the plane. Eventually, after three hours of uh, what was described as quite significant discomfort, apparently there wasn't much electricity mm. on the plane or functioning toilets. Oh. But once they were allowed off the plane... Um, the reports were that the Saudis really welcomed the Israelis with such friendliness. They were all transferred to an airport hotel, um, were extremely well treated. Everybody was very nice and very friendly, went out of their way to help everybody. Um, and ultimately, um, everybody returned home safe and sound. Um, and the prime minister actually issued a statement saying that he greatly appreciates the warm treatment by the Saudi authorities towards the Israeli passengers whose plane was forced to make an emergency landing in Jeddah. And he said, I'm pleased that everyone is returning home and I greatly appreciate the good neighborliness. So that was from the prime minister and I think a very fascinating uh, little incident and little story. And while we're talking about things that might be relevant to the season, the twice yearly inspection of the Western Wall is currently being undertaken. This is an inspection that takes place every year, once before Pesach and once before Rosh Hashanah, in order to check the integrity of all the stones and the rocks that make up that wall. And um, listeners might be interested to know that each and every stone and each and every rock in the Western Wall has a document, has a record. And it's, uh, the, the state of that particular stone is, is recorded twice a year, just to make sure that um, everything is safe for the people who would visit that area because, of course, during the holiday season, there would be hundreds of thousands of people who visit the wall area. And so uh, the authorities want to make sure that it's all safe and sound, that nothing um, may happen to cause um, anybody to be in danger around that area. And, of course, <clears throat> just to protect the historical importance and integrity of the wall, uh, the inspection, of course, is being undertaken under the auspices of the chief rabbi of the Western Wall, Rabbi Shmuel Rabinovitz, 
apparently he's checking that everything is being done in accordance with halachic guidelines. Now, I'm not quite sure. I was going to say, what is, what is halachic guidelines around that? That's fascinating. I have no, no idea what halachic guidelines might be in place to govern uh, the stones of the Western Wall. Maybe there's some listeners out there who know this a, bit, a little better than I do. But apparently the halachic guidelines are being are being significantly adhered to, and of course also under the auspices of the Israeli Antiquities Authority, um, who have a significant interest well, to make sure that everything well, is I, I, well done. Well, I've just got a message from Leslie. Uh, she trades in contraband, apparently. She says, I was once at the cartel when they were checking it. Afterwards, I managed to pick up a few stones that had fallen down. I gave some away, but I still have two that I kept for myself. I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure that's oh, yeah. pretty. I'm she, sure she, that's contraband, Leslie. Yeah, and, I'm talking and about killing stones. She's proud uh, enough to, yeah. to make it all public to everybody. Mm, and there mm. was an incident about five years ago, in 2018, when quite a big rock actually did fall down. Um, fortunately, no one was injured in that incident, but it could really have hurt and even killed somebody. So um, this check is really, really important. And as I say, this is the week <clears throat> that it's taking place ahead of the high holy holidays, which are almost upon us. They really are, but let's not get worked up about that. Saudi Arabia is reported to be willing to resume providing funding to the Palestinian authorities. It's interesting because Lindy was telling us on the news that this is some kind of an indication about the movement towards peace with Israel. Explain that to us. Yeah, well, that's what the Wall Street Journal is saying because um, that's where this report um, uh, was was uh, published. The Saudis have historically said that they will not enter into a peace agreement with Israel until the Palestinian issue is resolved. Now, um, I'm not quite sure how people envisage the resolution of the Palestinian issue and at what point they say it's now resolved enough in order to allow us to move forward. I'm not quite sure what the standards are. But clearly, the Saudis seem to be moving away from that position somewhat um, in favor of trying to establish diplomatic relations with Israel or at least what we term normalized relationship with Israel. And mm. the, uh, the potential victims in that are the Palestinians because the Saudis have said that until the Palestinian issue is resolved, um, they will not normalize relations with Israel. And yet now they seem to be moving towards some sort of normalization where um, objectively, the Palestinian issue still remains unresolved. And so I think that this is a gesture towards the Palestinians, or this is a sign of, it, of, of the fact that the Saudis are pretty serious about moving towards a peace agreement with Israel or normalization of relations with Israel and making a gesture towards the Palestinians to make sure that the Palestinians don't, don't feel like they're being left behind. And interestingly, a senior delegation um, is due to travel next week uh, from the Palestinian Authority to Saudi Arabia in order to discuss what Saudi Arabia might be able to do uh, for the Palestinians in light of this move towards normalizing relations with Israel. In the past, uh, Saudi Arabia has been a funder uh, to Palestinian causes. In fact, um, back in 2016, for example, something like five billion U.S. dollars was given to Palestinian Arab causes, including direct support to the Palestinian Authority. However, in 2016, there were all these allegations of incompetence and corruption. And as a result of that, the Saudis decided to scale back 
mm. their funding towards the Palestinian Authority and towards Palestinian causes from that $5 billion to around about $170 million a year, which by comparison um, is, is, is much, much less. And in fact, uh, in 2021, the report suggests that there was actually no funding that was received from the Saudis That's towards Palestinian quarters. So it seems as if they're now, because of the latest sort of moves towards normalization of relations, they're wanting to make the Palestinians feel that they're still on the agenda, that they're still being loved and still being supported. And as a result of that, it seems as if this funding idea has resumed its relevance. And so we will see what happens with the visit next week uh, to Saudi Arabia by that Palestinian delegation. But it seems quite likely that the Palestinians will, in fact, uh, be recipients, will be winners um, in this process of normalizing ties, Mm. that they will at least be able to get some funding from the Saudis. Uh, Details have been released about government deliberations that took place around the signing of Oslo. That's like 30 years ago. What and why, I guess, is the question. Well, it's exactly because of that 30 years have now passed. And because the fact that 30 years have now passed, those secret documents are being made publicly available um, after the expiry of that time. And it's quite interesting to see some of the uh, considerations that were being made at the time, particularly by then Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, who, of course, was a great supporter of the Oslo Accords. Now, um, what's, what's interesting for me is that when they were talking about uh, the signing of the Oslo Accords and these discussions that have been made public were discussions that uh, took place about two weeks before the signing of what was called Oslo 1, which was the first of the two agreements which make up the Oslo Accords. And um, just uh, during those discussions um, at a cabinet meeting, um, the, uh, the, government, the government of the day was discussing what would actually happen as a result of the signing of the Oslo Accords in terms of Palestinian autonomy in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. And the uh, the declaration that was made to the cabinet said that the council, the Palestinian council that would be established as a result of an election that was due to have taken place then, would be given jurisdiction over education, health, social welfare, taxation, and tourism in the West Bank and Gaza. Now, for those people who declare that Oslo is dead and that the Oslo Accords really brought nothing of any significance, um, I would say that when I look at that list, that is still relevant today, Mm. 30 years later. It's as relevant today as it was then. And interestingly, Rabin was very skeptical about whether an election would actually take place. He said, "If if I was to be asked how likely I thought that this election will take place. He said, I think there's a very small chance, Mm. that was Mm. his words, very small chance that uh, the election will take place. But indeed, there was an election, and of course, these responsibilities were handed over to the Palestinian Authority at the time, and they continue to uh, be irrelevant now. The interesting thing, just another interesting thing that I found, um, was the reference to Hamas. And what uh, Rabin said was that um, the Gaza would be a real test for the Oslo Accords. That's really where the test would be um, and how Hamas would um, arise. Because, of course, in Oslo Accords, Hamas was was not recognized at all um, as a party to the agreement, but rather this was all being signed with 
Fatah, with the Palestinian Liberation Organization of the day, which ultimately became uh, the uh, party that made up the Palestinian Authority. And he just said that Gaza would be the real test of the Oslo Accords and that it would be interesting to see how Hamas would function in uh, the uh, West Bank area and within the Gaza Strip. And those words seem to have been really prophetic. It's it's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And just for clarity, uh, because I'm doing a lot of that this morning, getting myself into trouble, uh, but that's okay. That's what we do around here. And uh, Leslie says it's not contraband. It would have otherwise have been swept away. So uh, it really is pretty cool. It is very cool, actually. It is very, very cool. Uh, but uh, uh, Leslie's defense in this regard is that it would have been swept away. You know what? It's not for me to judge. Uh, but anyway, Tel Aviv is more expensive to buy property than any European city. Uh, insane. Insane. It is insane. It is insane. And this is the, the latest information that's come out of the Deloitte's property index. I'm not exactly sure why Israel has been included in this European survey, because this is a, a really um, a very much European focus. But it does give us an idea of how Israel and how Tel Aviv in particular stack up against the rest of uh, Europe. And what the uh, Deloitte's property index says is that in 2022, Tel Aviv was the most expensive city in the index by uh, quite a way. In fact, um, the price of a square meter on average to buy in Tel Aviv was 16,000 US dollars per square meter. You guys can work that out. You probably know how many square meters you have in your uh, in the place that you live. You can multiply that by $16,000. And that's what it would cost you on average to buy a place in Tel Aviv. That compares with Paris, who comes in $15,900 per square meter. And then after that is Munich at $12,400 per square meter. London, the cheapos, $10,000 per square meter. And Amsterdam, $8,500 per square meter. So Tel Aviv is really, really at the top of the pile. And it's not only Tel Aviv, <clears throat> because when you look across the whole of Israel, then Israel is way in front of any other European country coming in at an average cost per square meter across Israel of $6,200. Now, the next in the list is Norway with $5,650, Germany with $5,200, France with $5,000, the UK only $4,300. And of course, when we get further down the list, Italy, $2,600. Spain, $2,900. Greece, $1,450. So the, the price in Israel is astronomical. I'm guessing that if they're looking at 2022 prices, that the exchange rate might also have played quite a significant role. Since then, the Israeli shekel has been devalued quite significantly. In fact, over the last a couple of months alone, the Israeli shekel has lost value about 10% even against the rand and other currencies. So I'm guessing that that might look slightly different if we use the current exchange rate for the shekel, which is much different than it was a year ago. Mm, but mm. still, the prices are just astronomical in Israel. Absolutely incredible. Anthony Reich, thank you as always. That's where we leave it. We'll be back with Anthony tomorrow morning for the Israel Report at 745 
That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com.